Hello. Hi. I'm Shannon. I'm Emma. And welcome to this podcast doesn't exist. Yeah. I was going to go Christmas and apparently my brain said no. Just no. straight up circus. I mean, you've never been to a McCarthy family Christmas. That music feels appropriate. I have not been to a McCarthy family Christmas. You have not. Nope. It's a lot, but it's fine. Love you. Anybody who is, is listening. listening. When I see you at Christmas, tell me if you if you listen to my podcast. We're here. We're two best friends. We like talking about a lot of stuff, All honestly, of but most generally mysteries is what mysteries. we say. But also, guess what? It's our show. So we do what we want here. It sounds, it sounds so mean, but I love, I love it. Guess what? If you have a problem with it, you can email us. You can contact us. You can DM us. All of our socials and our contact form are on our website, which is what, Emma? This podcast doesn't exist. Dot com. Dot com. I don't know why I went real low. For, I think I'm trying to match your, your hoarseness. I had a cold. Yeah. I'm getting over it. But you, you have Phoebe voice, that I've episode of Friends. This, this, like, late night jazz. Yeah. That episode thing. of Friends where Phoebe gets, like, she has a cold and she has that, like, really low register. And so when she's singing at the coffee shop, she's got, like, a really low voice. And then she coughs. And then it's back to her normal voice. And it's like everybody leaves because they're like, oh, it's not as good. And she's like, oh, no. no. Well, I've been coughing a whole bunch and it hasn't been changing my voice. So... This is just what you have. Beautiful yeah. and sultry. Yeah. Well, as we've alluded to, the holidays will quickly be upon us. The holiday season. Yeah. And Emma. Yeah. In your experience, hmm. what gift is a pretty good bet if it's coming from me? Like A book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a book. It's a and, book. And do you ever love books so much that you you just want to steal them? I'm so excited for what you're going to talk about today. I have no clue. Great. The answer to that question is no comment. (laughs) No comment. No, we don't condone thievery. Thievery. Um, If you want to feel like you're stealing, but legally, go to your local library. You can Mm, get all all the things and it feels like they're free. You don't get to keep them, but you keep them for a while. Three months. Three months. Three months! Three weeks. I mean, you can. Which is sometimes like 12 weeks, depending on your library. Anyway, socialism. So I'm going to quote Vanity Fair. Okay. Which was, they did a lot of heavy lifting in this. uh, Their their 2007 article uh, really helped give this piece uh, bones. Um, And I'm just, here's their opening for this. Quote, The untold story of the transy book heist is one part Ocean's Eleven, one part Harold and Kumar. (laughs) Four Kentucky college kids who had millions to gain and nothing to lose. Books and the heist. Let's go. (laughs) And you want to know what I titled my notes? What? Heist, heist, baby. Yeah, and major shout out to the Vanity Fair piece. Uh, It's linked in the show notes. Um... Yeah. Alrighty. Let's get into it. The scene. Lexington, Kentucky. Lexington. The early 2000s. Ooh. A-line skirts. Asymmetrical. I always do that. Not A-line. Asymmetrical skirts. That's it. And Brad Pitt. (laughs) And Brad Pitt. The players. We've got Spencer Reinhardt, an art student 
at Transylvania University. I love is, that. Which is in yeah, Lexington. Trans- yeah. He's a former high school soccer player and a current day certified hottie. Ooh. Why do I know that? I'll tell you later. Uh, she looked at his picture. No. <laughs> no? Warren Lipka. He's on a soccer scholarship at the University of Kentucky. Oh. Also known as UK. Yep. He's high school friends with Spencer, even though they went to different schools. Okay. But they both made the All-State team. Cute. And he's played in the film adaptation <gasps> of this story by the love of my life, an incredibly persuasive fictional sociopath, Evan Peters. Ooh. Yeah. Halsey knew what was up. She was like, I have a crush. And then, like, three years later, she was dating him. Great. Eric Borsuk. He's studying accounting at UK. Okay. Because he wants to get hired by the FBI right out of school. Which, for reasons that will become clear, is ironic. Yeah. <laughs> he had formally been... Formerly. Formally? No. Formerly. Been in the fake ID selling business with Warren until they had a falling out Ooh. over a missing $2,000. Oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So. So they hadn't talked in a while. Mm-hmm. Eric is also the current owner of a pretty impressive lumberjack-esque beard. Ooh. Do love, do love a beard. Yeah. And our last key player is Charles Allen II, who goes by Chaz. That was my next question. Yep. <laughs> what was the what was the nickname? Chaz. I, okay. Now that I know his nickname, I went from him being in a button up to him being in a doubled up popped collar polo situation. Yeah. Feels feels correct. Good old Chaz comes from some classic white suburban success. I mean, he's a what a third. He's a second. A second. I'm so sorry. Uh, he started his first business when he was 12. Oh. And. Hilariously to me, he's played by Blake Jenner, who is not related to the Kardashian Jenners, but he was a minor later in the series star on Glee. Oh. I think he won the Glee Project, season one or two. Who did he play? Do you remember? No clue. Some guy. He wasn't Trouty Mouth. <laughs> nope. That that goes to... Sh- I don't remember any of their names in the later season. The, the B cast, no offense... Don't remember. The show should have ended. Anyway, all four members of the heist were 19 or 20 years old at the time of these events. Mm. All four men were drawn to the idea of the heist as a way of, quote, pushing back and rebelling, unquote, against the wealthy suburban lifestyle in which they were raised, Eric has said in interviews. And then I'm going to read you a little blurb from Vanity Fair. When the four boys were arrested, the news was met with disbelief, as none of them had been in any serious trouble before. Far from being social outcasts, they had been popular athletes, and two were on some form of college scholarship. Mm. The press invariably described them as good boys from good families. Upper middle class kids afforded every opportunity, the ones with the most to lose, unquote. Well. Yeah. That's my favorite. We're going to get it. We'll get into it. Okay, great. Because I have some stories of people that I knew who are described as that, that I went to school with, who were not that. I'm not going to name names, obviously, but just so you know. Carl. No. No, (laughs) That's not even... I was going to say, that's not even 
close to a, to a name that someone would be named during our generation. It's also not even the sound from the TikTok audio that's like, well, I don't want to name names. Then it cuts to like the other boys being like, it was Steve. Yeah. It was Steve. Yeah. No. Um, His name was Mike. <laughs> Alrighty. So the inspiration. As a freshman art student at Transylvania University in the fall of 2003, Spencer toured the school's special collections library with a group of students. Ooh, I love it. Which I was like, yay, orientation includes this library tour. How fun. Yeah, special collections are always great. He learned about the multi-million dollar collection of rare books, including... This. <laughs> this is... I'm so sorry. I love this. This is my favorite thing, and it's something that I've thought about when I'm when I'm in any kind of special collections library. And I used to work at one, so uh, uh, including four double sized folios of John James Audubon's Birds of America, containing illustrations by the famed naturalist and painter. The They're four. Gorgeous. Sorry. Yes, I, ma'am. I'm so sorry. I keep interrupting you. You hate it. I have so many pages Go. to get through. Go. No, you go. I was just saying that they're gorgeous. I've oh, seen them. Yeah. This four-volume set of life-size engravings was completed by the pioneer wildlife artist in London in 1838. This set was one of fewer than 200 produced, so it's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. A librarian noted during Reinhardt's tour that the school had sold a similar set of Audubon's works for $12 million a few years earlier. Interesting. (laughs) So Spencer's art skills had Warren reaching back out. So they had been friends in high school, and because they were both going to school in Lexington, they were like, oh, yeah, we'll still be friends. But then, like, you know, life happens, college happens. But because Warren and Eric had had that falling out, Warren now has, like, he doesn't have the skills to keep this fake ID business going. But his old bestie, Spencer, is an art student. So he reaches back out, and so they get reconnected. And then while they're just smoking weed one day, Spencer mentions this library experience to, to Warren, and what starts as half a joke begins to spiral into something bigger. According to Warren, quote, I said $12 million just sitting there. They got security around that? nonchalantly very nonchalantly i mean just kind of shooting it between us so i kind of go that would be pretty crazy wouldn't it he said yeah that would be kind of crazy and then i said you know why don't you look into it more and we'll go from there just like very unofficial (laughs) unquote just like very unofficial Super unofficial. Like super unofficial. Nothing. Just, nothing's happening. Just we're just chill. We're just, just shooting like the breeze. Look into it. We're just shooting the breeze, man. <laughs> puff, puff, fast, baby. Both of the young men had had a rockier start to college life than they'd really been expecting. Spencer found that he wasn't playing soccer as much as he anticipated, even though he'd been like sort of recruited, I guess. Yeah. But he's there on art scholarship, not on sports scholarship, so he's not playing as much. He joined a frat on campus, but it wasn't exactly fulfilling for him. Quote, in all my art classes, I was the only guy in with a bunch of girls who didn't have any idea what they wanted to do. All these girls I could draw better than when I was in sixth grade, unquote, to which I wrote, okay, Spence. Okay. That's rude. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So in the film and in interviews, Spencer repeatedly refers to this desire for something big to happen in his life. Like as a seemingly a prerequisite for like good art. Like he talks about Van Gogh's mental health problems and like Monet went blind and like this whole thing. Okay. And I'm so like, I get it. You're a basic, boring, middle-class white boy it, it, in Kentucky. You're exactly. like, oh, how can my life be real? How can I produce art without having extreme trauma? Struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Warren was facing troubles at home because his parents were filing for divorce. Aww. His mother claimed that his father, Big Warren, the seller... Sorry. I think because he's also named Warren. No, I, so and I get senior... it. Yeah. I know. I understand. It's just that feels that that feels a ve- that's a very Southern thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Big Jerry. Yeah. I don't. Whatever. Yeah. Um. He's the, he was the celebrated coach of the University of Kentucky's women's soccer team. Okay. Um. His mother claimed that he had gambled away the like gambled the family into bankruptcy, but. Oh. Big Warren didn't comment on these allegations. Mm. Um, By October of 2003, so just like two months into the semester, Warren was kicked off the university soccer team, which left him with a lot of time on his hands. Oh, no. Our next chapter. Going to lengths. Like, great lengths. That's just what my brain decided (laughs) to title this last night. Between studying for his first semester's finals, working out, and painting, Spencer made time to scope out the special collections section of the Transy Library, reporting back to Warren weeks later that there was zero security other than an old lady librarian named BJ and having to, quote, sign a fucking book. Yeah. Unquote. I can attest to this. Um, I will say the special collections library I worked in there was a bit more security and it was, they were very strict about like if you were the person in charge of like of sitting at the desk watching people. A big thing that has happened in the past is that people will bring exacto knives into the special collections and will surreptitiously cut out pages, oh usually God. illustrations, so that they can then sell them on what is essentially the black market. The audacity. I would never Right to ever what? Oh my god! Exactly. So it's happened before. It has happened with. uh, It actually happened at Yale, but our special collection. Yeah, our special collections assistant director was this German woman, Uta, who was like Uta Hagen. Uta, Uh, no, but (laughs) she first of all was baller, but was also. Thought you were gonna say bald, and I was like. She seems awesome. No, she she's was this bald super librarian named Uta. Uta. No, she's baller. But I got in trouble once because I had to get a walkie-talkie because mm-hmm. we have them so that people can, you know, tell whoever is out at the front desk, yeah. hey, I need help or I need to leave, I need to go to the bathroom, something like that. And I, like, it was just outside the doorway. So I, like, stuck my hand outside the doorway. Uh-huh. I was still watching the person. But because I had stuck my hand outside the doorway, I wasn't technically in the room. Oh, and no. so she was like, "You have to stay fully in this room. You need to have icon, uh, eyes on him and all, legs all times." Inside the special exactly. collection. So I was like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> Having a German woman, yeah, yell at you—that's fair. Terrifying. Yeah, but so yeah, I can I can attest to the lack of most special collections libraries 
yeah. security. This is not national treasure. New. No. You know. Like, there are cases, but the librarian has the key to the cases. So it's yeah. not it's not a laser fingerprint situation. No. You can kind of... Yeah. Yeah. So, Warren, he consulted with the contact that got him set up in the fake ID biz. Mm. He, he reached back out, inquiring as to how one would, you know, hypothetically sell some rare art. Uh-oh. His contact gave him the email address of a supposed fence. So, like, a fence. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, is if you're trying to sell something, you sell it to the fence and they sell it to someone else. It's like creating There's a, barrier. a fence between you and the, the final owner. Yeah. Crime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the best visual bits of you wide-eyed going... Crime. Anyway, the email of a supposed fence located in New York with clear instructions to leave him out of it and to never contact the mystery man from the same email twice. Oh. So our buddies, Warren and Spence, they scrounge up the $500 of good faith money as requested and armed with nothing but bravado and a bag of weed, <laughs> drive the 700 miles to Manhattan in Spencer's Acura Legend. Amazing. Yep. Then this is from Vanity Fair. They checked into the Hilton Hotel in Midtown, Warren signing in under the name Harry Balsani, a name backed up with one of their fake Kentucky driver's licenses, and paying in cash. Having seen their fair share of heist movies, they knew how dangerous it was to leave a paper trail. Wow. The meeting was scheduled for the next morning on the southern edge of Central Park near the Plaza Hotel. Barry, the fence, ah. uh, described himself as an older man with a long ponytail and said he'd be wearing a green scarf, unquote. This sounds like a first date. <laughs> but also keep in mind, like, this is 2003. So, like, Is it one of those skinny scarves? Well, no. <laughs> Not in terms of fashion, but I mean, like, now you could, like, text somebody. That's true. Or, like, email yeah. them from your phone to be like, do I see you? I'm yeah, is that this. you? Yeah. Um, so the mysterious Barry was initially put off because they're really young. Yeah. Right? Like, when you're a, a hardened criminal, perhaps you're expecting uh, not 19 and 20-year-olds. No. Quote, he was visibly unnerved, Warren remembers. It was hard for us. We weren't, like, hardened criminals, so we kind of had to really put up a front. Like, how you doing? While high, I'm assuming. Well, one would hope they didn't smoke right before such an important operation, but who knows? The stoners I've met in my life don't always have <laughs> the best judgment. No. He eventually took the $500 and gave them an email address in return. It turns out that he was not, in fact, the fence that they were looking for. What? I mean, he was a fence, but not he couldn't help them out. Oh, I see, I see. I thought that they had emailed someone else and there was just another guy. old guy with a long ponytail and a now, skinny green scarf standing in Central uh, Park. Oh, my gosh. I am not the guy uh, you're looking it's for. Like, oh. These are not the fences you're looking for. You're just in the village. You're like, what's happening? <laughs> Where am I? Um, Instead, this new email would put them in contact with underground art dealers as long as they signed off their emails, as instructed, with the name Terry. Okay. I don't know. Uh, that's I very guess Terry specific. was the code word, maybe. Like, maybe. You've been vetted enough to get this email for real instead of, like, 
a cop or something yeah. if it found the email. I don't know. Once safely back in Lexington, the two created a Yahoo account to which I wrote LOL 2004 <laughs> and sent off the email in which they claimed to have unspecified rare books in their possession. A week later, they received a terse reply telling Terry that if he wanted to sell something, he was going to have to come in person to Amsterdam, quote, as that is where I do business. I love this. It only gets more absurd. I love this. This is, this is Boynton energy, and I love it. Correct. So I'm, detour alert, wee wee I'm currently listening to the audiobook of the novel Less, like the Pulitzer Prize okay. winner. Because I need it for one of my book challenges, like read a Pulitzer Prize winner. And one of my coworkers, Anne, shout out to Anne. I love her so much. Um, she she and I had talked about it. Like she had mentioned some stuff about it. And I was about halfway through at this point And I sent her a, a Slack message. I was like, hey, Anne, I'm about 50% through less. And I remember you said you really enjoyed it. And honestly, like, because it's all about the, the main character, uh, Arthur Less is his name. Okay. And he goes on this long, like, traveling, like, his, basically his, his former lover is getting married and he's been invited to the, to the wedding, but he's like, absolutely not. So he like, he says yes to all these things. Like he goes and he's going to be in Mexico on this panel and go to this award thing in Italy. Like he just packs his schedule. But it's a lot of, like, mishaps and adventures. So I, I, like, slacked Anna, and I was like, I feel like you'll enjoy this episode of the podcast because it has a very similar energy. And I sent her the blatant one. And she's like, oh, good. Jim will be out tonight, and I'm going to be Christmas-flying the house. So you all will be keeping me company. And I was like, I love you, Anna. That makes me so happy. Anyway, but I, yeah. I do love it when, like, when Annabelle wrote in and was like, this is when I listen to you guys, and, you know, you're keeping me company while I'm doing this. I love, I love the idea that we're hanging out. Yeah. That makes me happy. Sometimes I hang out with us while I do dishes. I hang out with us... While you're editing. While I'm editing. It's very, it's a little haphazard, but it happens. (laughs) Sounds about right for us. Alrighty, so our two boys didn't have much money or passports. Oh, no. But neither proved to be the insurmountable obstacle that Spencer was was anticipating. So he talks about this idea of like, well, obviously, some something's going to derail this crazy plan. Like, this isn't actually going to happen. Like, he's not really, he's not really thinking, like, yes, we're going to steal this and have millions of dollars. I think he just was looking for something different. And already it was, like, pushing them out of their comfort zone. Like, he'd never been to New York City before. Yeah. But, like, they're out here living this life. Warren, on the other hand, I think was fully, like. Oh, yeah. It sounds that way. Balls to the wall, all in. Um. Especially with the, it was just unofficial, you know? Just, just, just super, just, just feeling it out. Just, like, shooting the shit between those. Yeah, like, it's fine. So, they pool their money enough to purchase one ticket. And they turn to their fake ID contact to wrestle up a fake passport. <gasps> oh, no. It doesn't specify if it's just, like, oh, they had no passports at all. Or, like, they were trying to avoid using their real name, so they needed a fake passport. But that's scary. Yeah, well, nothing happens. They get one, and and it's fine. Whoa. Yeah. So Warren was the chosen one because, you know, he's free from collegiate obligations because he, he, like, dropped out of school after he got kicked out of the uh, 
off the soccer team. Yeah, and he's got the double-popped polo collar, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. the audacity is there. Um, so he, it was decided he would be the one to go make the connection. According to Warren, he met with four men in a cafe in Amsterdam for around 15 minutes. They, too, were put off by his youth and remained relatively tight-lipped, especially when it became clear that he did not have the rare books in his immediate possession. Nor was he, apparently, able to articulately describe the proposed loot. Because remember, Spencer's the art student. Yeah. Warren is some guy. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's really good at soccer, but... The main takeaway from the meeting was that these men were willing to sell the goods, but only if they came with an official appraisal of value. Warren returned to the U.S. and began to work this new element of the problem. And now one might think, this is the, this is the obstacle. Mm, nope, nope. They just, they did some research and they decided that they were going to land on possibly the biggest fish in the game, Christie's Auction House in New York City. Boys. Quote, I was kind of skeptical, Spencer told Vanity Fair, but the way I rationalized it was, it's the biggest auction house. Okay. If we go in there, they're not going to suspect that we stole these. Because no one would go to Christie's with stolen books to get them appraised. That's how we did a lot of stuff. Like, we would smoke weed directly under the security camera on campus, park a car right underneath it, and smoke for, like, an hour. We figured the more obvious we were, the less likely we would be suspected. Unquote. Okay. (laughs) Two things. One, kind of smart. Okay. But but two, equating... (laughs) Equating that... To go into multi-million dollar heist. Exactly. (laughs) Totally the same. It's it's the same thing, man. Absolutely the same. Who am I? Am I Chad or am I Brad? Don't bring Chad and Brad into this. That's fair. They are innocent. They don't believe the moon landing happened, but they haven't gone. They're innocent. No, they're innocent. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, As it was already nearing the end of the school year. And there was a lot of planning yet to be done. They agreed to postpone the theft until at least the fall. Wow. Yeah. Uh, But even at that point, it became apparent that Warren and Spencer wouldn't be able to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Commercial break. (laughs) Brought to you by OxyClean. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) That's all I got. Shazam! (laughs) Sham wow. Sham wow. The more, the merrier. The pair turned to Warren's high school teammate and former business partner, Uh Eric Borsuk. After moving past their previous financial disagreement, the two discussed the possible heist. With more money involved. You know, eh. Eric was nervous, but intrigued. Mm. Vanity Fair. Quote, when summer break began, the three returned home to the subdivisions of South Lexington. Spencer received a commission to paint murals at a local school and kept up his soccer training. Eric started a lawn care business with his friend, Chaz Allen. And Warren landed a job at a local day camp. LOL. The guys hung out together when they could, with Warren frequently conjuring up fantasies through billowing clouds of marijuana smoke of post-heist life for them in the Mediterranean, complete with sleek catamarans, and topless women, unquote. Why are you, why are you making a sad face? Because it's kind of cute. 
It's kind of cute. He's no! like, all right, you guys. They are bad, No, I Emma. know. I know. Bad boys. Yes, they are bad boys. But I find it adorable that Warren is fantasizing about hanging out with his three best friends on a Mediterranean beach for the rest of his life. He's, He's like, like, this yeah, is what dude. I imagine. Like, yeah, topless women, whatever. But we get to we'll hang out forever. <laughs> well, at this point, it's just his two other friends. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But still. Yeah. So that fall of 2004, Warren moved into the basement of a yellow bungalow in Lexington. Eric lived in one of the rooms upstairs. Spencer moved back into a dorm at Transylvania, where he was, you know, a student. During a planning session, Warren convinced the others that they would need to bring in an additional conspirator to help them execute the heist of the heavy portfolios. This brings us Chaz in all his privileged business major glory. You guys need to know that Shannon's <laughs> looking away from me at her notes, and it, as she said Chaz, she swooped her head over a nice little swoosh motion towards the microphone to say Chaz. 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 <laughs> no, you know why I'm saying it that way? Because it's like Cher? Yeah, well, yeah her it's son, like her son. Chad Michaels, who impersonates Okay, Cher. so Chad Michaels impersonates Cher, but Cher has a son named Chaz. <laughs> it's all connected. Ah! Time is a flat circle. Do you believe? So Chaz, mm. he was another roommate in the Yellow House, as well as being a partial owner of the property, along with his father, a prominent Lexington real estate investor. Okay. So just pop those collars, baby. Uh, at first, he brushed off the guys, claiming they'd been smoking too much weed and were sure to get caught. Oh, Chaz, are you a bit straight lace? I mean, he's got all those polos on. That's true. Well, I kind of conflated him and Warren for a minute. So, Warren, you, you just t-shirts. Chaz, yeah. Chaz is the pop yeah. collars. Yeah. Got it. When presented with how apparently easy the heist would be, paired with the expected payout, he was convinced Obviously. to sign on. Of course. Which brings us to our next chapter. <laughs> Recon. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Did you watch this movie? I did. I will share more of my thoughts later. Great. Thank you. <laughs> I almost texted you last night to be like, don't look on Amazon Prime. Because I didn't want to like give it away. But then you texted that y'all had just gotten home. I was like, oh, dang. Date night went for a long time. She's not watching TV. Okay. No. Great. In between soccer practice, classes, painting, and studying, Spencer drew detailed sketches of the inside of the Special Collections Library and adjacent rare books room, making several appointments with the Special Collections Librarian, Betty Jean Gooch, to scout the premises. Betty Jean's thinking that, oh, this sweet little boy is just really interested in books. Actually, no. Oh. She, like, remembers. She doesn't remember him on, like, the initial tour that he, like, orientation Yeah, tour, yeah. But she not. remembers him from one of these social, like, uh, not social, solo, like, meetings. Yeah. She's like, he, like, was very, like, un like, he, he didn't want to talk to me. Like, I was like... Bro, Aww. you have to be... You have to be friendly. You have to be chill. You have to be likable. I'm sorry, Betty Jean. No, just wait. Oh, oh, oh. I keep making too many guesses. Yeah. So the others spent time in the library as well, taking notes on staff routines and viable escape routes. They surveyed the offices of the campus police. What up, Campo? Mm -hmm. They climbed onto dorm roofs 
where they'd stake out the library for hours, marking down the comings and goings of teachers, students, and security personnel. Interesting. And this whole thing, like, we can get into it more at the end, but the whole thing, I'm just like, now imagine if you had applied all of this brain and effort to something worthwhile. You know what I mean? I feel like that's so often the case with, like, criminals. It's like, yeah. If you would just like shifted your focus, it's all it's all based on what brings them any kind of like joy. Yeah. So if but like imagine if like Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, like if she had used her like persuasive stuff for like working for I don't know like a nonprofit, raising them millions of dollars, but instead she was like scamming people. I'm so glad she went to prison, guys. Me too. The prison system is flawed, but, like, eat the rich. Anyway, um, they also did considerable research on the internet using key terms such as auction house appraisals, stun guns, and Swiss bank accounts. These boys have watched too many movies. For inspiration, they apparently watched heist movies like Ocean's Eleven and Snatch. So, Both yes. great movies. I have only seen one. Oh, Snatch is good. Great. You know I love a heist. I know. I, we should we should make that like a thing. We should have a movie night and like like Marvel Movie Monday, but it's like what what can we do? Heist Thursday. Heist Thursday. <laughs> I love that. Heist Thursday. Heist Thursday. Uh, okay, but reading about this really made me want to rewatch another early two thousands movie, The Perfect Score. Starring oh, Chris yes. Evans and Scarlett Johansson, where they're, like, going yes. to steal the answers to the SAT. Because this is what it feels like. Like, it's, you know, they don't have superpowers. Mm-hmm. They don't have, like, crazy amounts of money. Like, they're just... Just brain power. Some, some kids yeah. that are doing some stupid stuff. Yes. I remember that movie. Is Justin Long in that movie? Mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't watched it in a very no, long time. No, I know he's in Accepted, which is about creating the fake college because he doesn't that's get it. in. Yes, that's the movie yeah. I'm thinking about. The Southampton oh. Institute of Technology. Yeah, the shit sandwiches. Yeah, it's so good. Oh man, now I want to watch that movie too. Anyway, <clears throat> the next chapter, the plan. <laughs> Ultimately, the boys decided to target several valuable books. Audubon's uh, folios, valued at $4.8 million. Three additional works by Audubon, valued at $285,000 in total. An early version of the 15th century Latin encyclopedia, Hortus Sanitatis, that feels real, valued at $450,000. A rare 1425 handwritten religious devotional calendar, valued at $200,000. And an 1859 first edition of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species, valued at a mere $25,000. Yeah, it's not very, it's not, it's not very expensive. The value isn't very high. Um, Even now, like, I'm sure that those numbers are from then, but like, that's a pretty fucking cool book, like, to have as a first edition. Casual. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. So around Halloween, Warren drafts a working plan, which he presents to the other three in the basement. See, I know this is, what, 2003? 2004. 2004. But what I'm imagining is those, like, <laughs> is those, uh, 
like those nights where you you make a PowerPoint yeah. and you present to your friends of like getting like, up in a, hey. in like a suit jacket and you're like, so click Shannon's Bumble profile, <laughs> click. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Well, also keep in mind in this basement, like he's created a bedroom by like hanging curtains around like a mattress, and in the corner he's like growing weed. <laughs> Great. Like, just to this give you poor, some vibes. This, this... Don't say poor boys. Poor boy. No. Not poor boys. No, I didn't say boys. I said boy. No, especially him. I, I know. I don't know why I find this kind of endearing. I think it's because it's so silly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but ba It's the plan time. Okay, <laughs> so he proposes that the day of the heist will be Thursday, December 16th. Thursday. Thursday. Heist Thursday. Heist Thursday. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the final days of exams. So the library would ideally be almost empty. Right? Like, yeah. Warren, under a false name, would make an appointment with librarian BJ Gooch to view the books they wanted to steal. The plan for the actual <laughs> robbery set out three phases. Because, of course. Phase one would begin at the bungalow when all four would get into what Warren designated as the GTAV or the go-to and away vehicle (laughs) disguised as old men. (laughs) Emma is like scream laughing. Oh my God. Wait. Oh, this got so much weirder and funnier. Oh Oh my God. So phase one ends when the GTAV <laughs> is parked in front of the library and the four men, boys, they're boys. They're boys. Uh, but they're dressed as old men. Yeah, they are. Um, are in, quote, first position at the bottom of stairs of library. So they've got, they've got feet splayed out in first position. <laughs> as old men. Pull to bra. Pull to bra. Phase two involves the actual theft and begins when Spencer takes his position at an upper floor window of the nearby athletic center where he will be on lookout. Still dressed as an old man. I want to know Um, what these costumes look like. Oh, just wait. So he couldn't participate because he was a student at Transylvania and like someone might have recognized him. Which is fair. That is a very fair point. Sure. But I'm like, if you're going to be on the roof of the, or like the window of the athletic center, why are you dressed like an old man? Anyway. (laughs) They're not going to recognize the old man. It's fine. They're going to recognize you in an old man costume. (laughs) So Warren and Chaz would go up to the rare book room on the third floor and Warren would, quote, bring Gooch down hard and fast with a stun gun, making her, quote, a non-factor throughout the operation. No, Betty Jean. Warren and Chaz would then let Eric in, and they'd begin wrapping the Audubons in bed sheets and put any smaller books in backpacks. The three would then take the staff-only elevator down to the bottom floor and escape through the west fire exit. Phase two ends when the loot is loaded into the GTAV. GTAV! Phase three, the escape, which would involve switching the GTAV for a second vehicle at a secret location. Which, according to Warren's plan, quote, is used to transport team and loot to temporary resting place, unquote. So that's the plan. I love this. <laughs> uh, but after the heist, since they're like, oh, it's certain that the stolen books are going to get entered into the art theft databases within a week. We have to go immediately to Christie's in New York City. Like, right away. We can't wait. Okay. 
which, you know, they went on a Thursday. Yeah. So a Thursday. Like, a Thursday. A Thursday. <laughs> Warren made an appraisal appointment at Christie's for under the name Walter Beckman, which they used David Beckham as inspiration, like Beckham, Beckman. I see. They're really okay, into that, soccer. Yeah. Um, so he covered his checks by using public phones and campus computers. Writing from Walter Beckman at Yahoo.com. <laughs> Another one. Yeah. <laughs> Warren sent BJ Gooch an email confirming Beckman's December 16th appointment at the rare book room to view the Autobahns and a few other items. Quote, I know the collection is extensive and anything you think I might be interested in seeing, by all means, share, he wrote. So I'm like, wow, you y'all had a plan, but then you're like, eh, he also ordered four stun guns over the internet meanwhile yeah, that's not damning right meanwhile eric lined up the gtav from an un- unsuspecting friend and got his hands on zip ties a wool cap electrician's tape and bed sheets which i'm like suspicious yeah there should be a list like you know like Bomb making equipment and then like zip ties. Like, why are you buying them? Yeah. Are you actually buying them to put holiday lights on the side of your house, or what else are you buying? Yeah. Why do you need zip ties, a trash bag, and a shovel? And bed sheets. Like, yeah. why? Yeah. What? What? Spencer, meanwhile, assembled a small wardrobe of fake beards, gray wigs, and costume glue. To have time to properly apply the disguises, he tried to reschedule his art history final for later in the day on the 16th, but was unsuccessful. But you were unsuccessful? (laughs) Warren called Gooch back to change Walter Beckman's appointment to 3 p.m. That's an easier fix, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, but it's just like... Just... It just emphasizes the fact of like these are college these kids. These are like, boys. They're like, oh, sorry, I can't, I can't do the 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 heist Thursday because I, I have a final. I have a final, and I can't, I can't miss it's it. It's the you guys. image identification portion, so like I have to be there. Yeah, I gotta be there for real, for real. Which brings us to our next chapter. Trial run. Uh oh. So far. You made me thinking, mm, okay, cool, a heist. Mm. But Shannon, isn't this a mystery show? Well, dear listener, you are correct. And I've decided that the real mystery is how these guys were cocky and or dumb enough to think this plan would actually work. Also, it's the holidays and I do what I want. <laughs> that's not a holiday thing. That's just a normal thing. All I want thing. for Christmas is to do what I want. <laughs> I'm an Aries. <laughs> the end. So, yeah, that's the mystery. It's fine. Of f- f- why and how they thought this would work. On the morning of December 16, 2004, Warren's carefully scripted plan began to unravel almost immediately. Of course. <laughs> Eric couldn't get a hold of his friend's car, which left Chaz to borrow a Dodge Caravan from his mother. <laughs> Which she was fortuitously selling the next day. So they were like, oh, sweet. They'll, like, get rid of the vehicle. All right. But, like. That's hilarious. It's a minivan. I love it. Like, it's very funny. It's the GTAV. It it is the (laughs) GTAV. The stun guns Warren had ordered never arrived. So he drove. (laughs) 
So he drove around town and returned with a black cobra stun pen and had Spencer zap him and Eric to test his knockdown power. Hilarious. When they arrived on campus in the replacement GTAB, <laughs> they couldn't find a parking space anywhere near the library. <laughs> that is, is real. That is so real. thing you've ever heard. That is so real. Once the boys were inside the library, students stared at the ridiculous old man disguises. not <laughs> good. They didn't consult the theater department, did they? Spencer had had to do a rush job on them because his art history final had run long. (laughs) That morning, Betty Jean, the special collections librarian, was meeting with a colleague outside her office when they saw two young men dressed in ludicrous old man wrinkles and facial hair ascend the staircase to the rare books room. When they saw the women, the two costumed men turned around and left. Quote, we thought it was theater students fooling around, Gooch said in interviews. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did, because who else would be wearing old man makeup? Which, like, having gone to a university where lots of people wore costumes for various reasons, it's true. You're just kind of like, I don't Whatever. happening. Whatever. Whatever. Like, you don't, you yeah. know, you're just like, nah, You don't just, question just it. Just another day. Yeah. Just sweep our things. So the students quickly convened in the stacks and decided to abort the mission. Mm-hmm. This, however was now the end of the road. By 5 p.m., Warren, as Beckman, was back on the phone with Gooch, explaining that he had missed his appointment because he had been out of town on business. That's not a good reason for missing an appointment. Gooch agreed to reschedule for 11 o'clock the next morning. According to the revised plan, they would ditch the old man disguises. Correct. And only Warren and Eric would enter the library. Eric would stay on the main floor while Warren subdued Gooch in the rare book room. I'm scared for Gooch. Afterward, he was to call Eric up to haul the books in two trips to the GTAV, which would be driven by Chaz. Chaz? Chaz? And his GTAV? And GTAV. Spencer would communicate with Warren from a cell phone, which Warren would steal from a student in the morning. Which, like... Again, we'll get into it, but like it's like you were so smart until you weren't. Yeah, there's you know what it, I mean. There's so many holes, right? But you you had so many good ideas and, yet, and so many bad. Like it evens out. Yeah, the whole operation would have to be completed by twelve thirty p.m. as Chaz needed to return the Dodge Caravan to his mother in time for her to sell it, and Spencer and Eric had to get to their final exams in sociology and tennis, respectively. I love this. For added anonymity, Warren bleached his hair (laughs) blonde that night. So the night before. (coughs) Yeah, you're smelling the bleach. We're in it (coughs) to win it. Game time. Woohoo! At 11 the next morning, Chaz slipped the GTAV into a perfect parking spot. Ooh, that's magic. And watched as Eric and Warren entered the library. Warren went up to the third floor to meet Gooch while Eric waited downstairs for him to call. When he entered the rare book room, Eric expected the librarian to already be incapacitated as agreed. Instead, she greeted him at the door, letting him into the locked space. Warren had requested that his friend... Eric gave a fake name for the logbook, be able to join him. With BJ distracted by the newcomer, Warren took his opportunity to strike. 
BJ described the terrifying incident to the AP News. Quote, Suddenly, I'm mid-sentence, and Warren says to Eric, grab her hands, and he's pushing the stun gun into my left arm. I'm trying to process what's happening. I realize they're robbing us, and I'm so shocked by that. I think I even screamed once, but I realize no one could hear me. I fall to the ground. They lay me on my stomach. They bound my hands and feet. They put Warren's hat over my eyes and tried to duct tape on my mouth. I was scared I was not going to be able to breathe. I was also terrified I was going to have a heart attack. I have a family history and I'd been under so much stress. I just remember thinking, I have to calm myself down. I just have to get through this. Oh, BJ. It was at this point that Gooch remembers Warren saying, quote, quit struggling, BJ, or do you want to feel more pain? Unquote. Rude. Yeah. Warren and Eric wrestled the two Audubons, both as big as a side table, into a blanket, and also grabbing the original drawings, the Darwin, the Ortis Sanitatus, and a 1432 illuminated Psalter. And then we have a quote from Rare Book Hub. Love that place. Yeah. They're, they're sassy. Uh, they're great. I highly recommend reading it in the, um, in the show notes. Quote, while the presence of the sheet indicated they were aware that the books would be heavy, they evidently did not bank on just how heavy. So, in a move that showed just how little they knew about rare books, they took two of four volumes of Audubon's Elephant Folio Birds of America and two of three volumes of his Quadrupeds. Any real collector would have told them to take one complete set, not parts of two, and only a complete idiot would leave a couple elephant folios of birds behind to take a couple of volumes of quadrupeds. But as we shall see, even this was not the stupidest thing these young men were about to do, unquote. That is so fucking sassy. I love it so much. Yeah, they're like, we're not an official news source. We don't have to be unbiased. (laughs) They were stupid. Here's why. It's like, I'm not going to talk about the vampire. (laughs) I don't give a fuck. His name was Mike. (laughs) His name was Mike. Clearly, they had not properly assessed the difficulty of moving these two very, very, you know, side table sized folios. uh, Folios are huge. Um, Each of the Autobahns reportedly weighs 50 pounds. Yeah. Um, And I, in one of the sources, they talked about because it's displayed open in a glass case. Yeah. But occasionally they will turn a page. And mm-hmm. it takes like three librarians to turn the page. Because it's like two feet by three feet. And it's also like, it's not thin paper. Like yeah, it's it's, like, it, it's fairly heavy. Paintings. Yeah. They're basically a book of paintings, not like a book book. They attempt to escape as planned through the basement fire exit. But uh, they aren't able to find it. So they have to go back <laughs> up in the elevator. <laughs> in the staff elevator. So they just, they have to ditch the plan and they have to go... Through the first floor exit, which means they have to go in front of people. security, yeah, like in front of people. So they drop the oversized Audubons on the steps outside the elevator as library director Susan Brown caught sight of them. Hilarious. She chased them into the circle, like into the traffic. She keyed their van, Gooch said. It's a miracle she wasn't run over. Gooch had partially freed herself when Brown found her, and they called the police. After speeding away, Chaz improvised Mm. and kicked Eric and Warren out on the street, believing that three men in a gray minivan would draw too much attention. Because, like, they knew it was at least three people in a gray minivan. So he's like, get out. 
He promised to pick them up in another car after dropping the minivan off at his mom's house. So get out! I need to. I need to get this back home. My I mom's gonna kill my mom. me. My mom's gonna kill me, you guys. <laughs> um, and then we have another blur from Vanity Fair. The two boys sought cover from the cops in the sprawling grounds of the housing projects. But before long, they were put to chase once again, this time by two local thugs. <laughs> Frightened and alone in an unfriendly neighborhood and weighed down with priceless books, Warren and Eric barreled down the street, frantically trying to hail a police cruiser to rescue them. Which again, white privilege. Hello. As they ran, they stumbled again into Chaz, who had ret- returned in another car, as promised. Wow. Just okay. in time to save them and drive Eric to UK for his tennis class exam. I completely forgot. <laughs> Quote, it was only a tennis final, Eric says, but that final that day was actually harder than I thought it was going to be. It had some tennis trivia in there that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part of your day was your tennis final? Yeah. I wasn't expecting it's that. It's just the trivia. I just, yeah. like, wasn't I was just ex- really wasn't expecting that. I expected that. all the answers to just be like... Billie Jean King. That's it. Um, <laughs> that's all the sports. That's all. The, yeah, I was gonna say I, that's the, it. That's all Williams, she got. The Williams. That's um, all she's got. And Andy, what's his face? Okay. Uh, I don't know his last Me name. Me neither. But I, I know. I also don't do tennis. I saw a TikTok of him where he's very good at correcting reporters because they'll try to be like, oh, oh yeah. you're the first in America and whatever. And he's like, mm, actually, like Serena and and Venus have like. Double what I've got. Like, the first American man, yeah. All right, so this brings us to the next chapter. Christie's, we're going on a road trip. Oh, God. So the young men believed, with the loss of the dropped Audubons, that they had escaped with next to nothing. In fact, wedged in their backpacks was nearly three quarters of a million dollars worth of books and manuscripts. Yeah. Having told their parents that they were going on a ski trip to West Virginia, that weekend they loaded the loot into Eric's Ford Explorer and took off on the 12-hour drive to New York for their Christie's appointment. It had been agreed that Warren, with his smooth talk, and Spencer, with his art knowledge, would be the ones to go to the meeting. Their appointment was with Thomas Leckie, Christie's rare book specialist. After a short wait in the lobby, a young Christie's employee, Melanie Halloran, came out to apologize. Mr. Lecky, due to an impending public auction, was not able to see them, but she offered to take his place. Okay. So they took the meeting, introducing themselves as Mr. Williams and Mr. Stevens, quote, the sole representatives of Walter Beckman, whom... They described as a very private individual from Boston who had recently inherited several valuable rare books and manuscripts. The meeting ended after 30 minutes and Miss Halloran escorted the two out, assuring them that she'd be in touch after conferring with her superiors on the best way forward. When she asked for contact information, Spencer gave her his cell phone number. Dum, dum, dum. That is hilarious. Yep. 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 Which takes us to the aftermath. In the weeks following the book heist, law enforcement followed leads at the university. The other librarian, Susan Brown, had successfully reported that there were four young men involved, despite only seeing three. I don't know if it was they connected it to the old men from the day before. Maybe. Or she just miscounted. I don't know. 
They also reviewed countless hours of security footage from the UK computer lab, to which a police technician had traced the email from Walter Beckman to Gooch. Yeah, you guys. (laughs) Nothing panned out until mid-January, when, following a federal subpoena, Yahoo delivered all the data on its servers related to Walter.Beckman at Yahoo.com. Buried in the files was a series of emails to Christie's in New York. Because they used the same email, which meant they connect, They made it much easier. The FBI sent a team to interview Mallory Halloran, who told the agents about her meeting with a Mr. Stevens and a Mr. Williams. After the Halloran interview, the FBI received two additional pieces of evidence. The security camera footage from Christie's, Mm -hmm. and the cell phone number they had given. Boys. The the phone number was registered to a Gary Reinhardt of Lexington, Kentucky. When the agent called the number, he heard a voicemail message that started out, This is Spence. Leave a message. When an internet image search of Spence Reinhardt was performed, images of the young man's high school soccer career popped up including one picture featuring him and Warren battling it out on separate teams. The two young soccer players matched the physical descriptions provided by the Christie's employee and the security footage. Wow. The four men were trailed secretly for weeks, including, hilariously, to a screening of Ocean's 12. (laughs) So they're sitting there... Whispering to each other about, like, oh, yeah. Like, when they're, like, going over the plan, they're like, ha you in. That was totally us. Meanwhile, there are FBI agents, like, behind them, listening to everything they're saying. I love... You couldn't write this. Exactly. Like, I love if you wrote the it, sheer you'd be audacity. Like, That's too stupid. You have to edit that. Yeah. Like, you would fix that. I love this so much. The sheer audacity of a white boy. The pluck. The pluck. Pluck. So, the investigation of the transy book heist came to an explosive end on the morning of February 11th, 2005, as a SWAT unit broke down the front door of the yellow bungalow with a battering ram, blasting stun grenades throughout the building. Jeez, guys. (laughs) Several of the young men were arrested in their boxer shorts. (laughs) Ha ha. Spencer was simultaneously arrested at his dorm over on transy campus. In the basement, in a duffel bag under Warren's bed, the FBI found the stolen books, all undamaged, as well as a five-page typed plan for the heist, an accounting ledger, wigs, instructions for opening a Swiss bank account, and stun guns, which apparently had arrived after the robbery. Boys, don't print anything. Your whole, like, we don't want a paper trail. Dumb. That You printed you it out! You printed the paper. Two months later, in April of 2005, amid a local media frenzy, the four formally, formally this time, not formerly, formally, pleaded guilty to all six federal charges, including theft of cultural artifacts from a public museum and interstate transportation of stolen property. In December of that year, sentences were handed down. Because the boys made the highly unusual decision not to accept the prosecution's offer to testify against one another in exchange for leniency, they were each sentenced to identical 87-month terms in prison. That's just over seven years. Okay. 
And this seems like a pretty steep sentence for, quote, some barely more than kids, first time offenders of comical incompetence, unquote. In fact, this sentence was actually on the low end of the sentencing guidelines. The guidelines were 87 to 108 months. Yeah. Two factors made those guidelines seem extreme. The two factors were the use of a dangerous weapon and the high value of the items they stole along with their important, you know, historical value. Yeah. Then in a true showing of white male privilege, if I've ever seen one, the boys appealed their sentencing. And we have another sassy quote from Rare Book Hub. I love this place. Quote, they argued that the stunning device, which they called a stun pen rather than a stun gun, should not have been classified as a dangerous weapon. The appeals court ruled against them. The court noted that under the statute, it is it did not actually have to be a dangerous weapon if it was used in a way such as to create fear in the victim that she could be seriously harmed. That, the court said, the defendants had done. The appeal failed, unquote. Good. Here's the kicker, though. Oh, no. The defendants aren't the only ones who can appeal. In this case, the prosecution decided to appeal, too. Because in the original court case, the Audubon folios that were dropped in the stairwell were not considered part of the pilfered goods because they technically never left library premises. So, Mm -hmm. like... Were yeah. they actually stolen? And then Rare Books Hub has something to say. Quote, that argument sounds reasonable at first, until you realize that every person who pilfers goods from a store and is nabbed by a security guard at the exit could claim they had never stolen the goods. The appeals court ruled that once the defendants pa- placed those books under their control, they were stolen, even if they later dropped them on the way out. Unquote. I can agree with that. Yes. Uh, there was also the possibility that the first few Audubon volumes they'd picked up but decided to leave behind could be construed as under their control as well, but they did get a break because those were not included in the case or in the appeal. Okay. And then another, just one last quote from Rare Book Hub. Quote, never failing to do the wrong thing. Three of the defendants managed to make one more faux pas. Oh, God. Against the advice of their attorneys, the three granted interviews to Vanity Fair magazine, which was published in December 2007. In it, they failed to show any serious signs of remorse, and their attorneys fear that this attitude will earn them little sympathy. For some reason... Those most unlearned of students cannot seem to grasp the simple aphorism that crime, like stupidity, does not pay. Unquote. <laughs> I love this. Whoever wrote this article for Rare Book Hub, pay them double. That's amazing. So $10. $10. I love that. So this brings us to pop culture. As previously mentioned, the story of the failed heist was adapted for the 2018 Sundance film, American Animals. It's streaming on Prime, and I highly recommend it. It's unique because it blends documentary interviews with the real men and their families into the fictionalized account featuring the actors. This is why you know that he was a hottie. Correct. (laughs) Um, And it was interesting to hear from Spencer specifically, because he talks about He has this really great quote where he's like, there are some memories that I don't know if I'm remembering them from my point of view or from Warren's point of view. Oh. Like, 
is that what actually happened or is that just what he told, told me, me happened? Yeah. Um, and I really think this highlights Warren's persuasive nature throughout this whole thing. Like, he claims in the interviews that he is not the ringleader, but I'm like... Mm. Everything seems to point to that. You gave a PowerPoint presentation, yeah. essentially, in order to get them to Basically. do this. Basically. But they, they even reflect the unreliability of these memories within the film itself. Like, when they're meeting the guy in Central Park, like, one of them says, like, oh, it's the guy with the ponytail... And it was a, a blue scarf. And then it's like, or was it a purple scarf? And it like, the color changes on screen. Oh, cool. And then it's like, but Warren says it was actually this guy, like this different description. So it, it like rewinds the film and like the guy with the scarf walks past and the other guy like, it, so it's very, Fascinating. it's very cool. So for example, Spencer in the interview section questions if Warren ever actually flew to Amsterdam because he He's like, all I know about that trip is that I dropped him off and I picked him up from the airport. So when he's talking about that, it shows his car drop and him being like, bye, and like walking into like the international departures. And then like the car pulls away. He hooks a Yui and like hails a cab. And then on film, the real Warren just shrugs, looks in the camera, is like, guess you'll just have to take my word for it. Because he doesn't have any evidence that he met with these guys. So it's it's very cool. So highly recommend the film. I really want to watch this now. Yeah, it's very cool. Heist Thursday. Heist Thursday. Uh, the heist was also the subject of an episode of CNBC's Super Heists. Cute. Which is apparently a show, and now I want to watch it. Uh, the episode features interviews with Eric and Chaz, who offered insight into what inspired their attempt at such a daring and ill-advised heist in broad daylight. Although I will say... At least in the film. The reason they do it during the day is because there are, like, motion center sensors yeah, in night. the library at night. So they're like, well, we have to do it during the day. Both admit they were obviously partly inspired by greed. Quote, what if you could make $12 million in one day? Chaz asks in the episode. Would you do it? Probably not. Uh, yeah, no. Um, I'm good. I'm comfy. I'm good. I, Again, universe, I would love... The opportunity to be an ethical billionaire, even millionaire. Just putting it out there. Thank you so much. Where are they now? This is a quote from Spencer's website. He's an artist. Spencer elected not to consider his consequent incarceration as loss of his best years, but rather sought to salvage his fledgling artist career by utilizing his time to develop his practice and to consider new methods and media. Indeed, one might consider these years to be a catalyst with which he could find his unique vision. He still lives in Kensington, uh, not Kensington, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, which is, you know, the site of the infamous heist. He's an artist and a father of two. And the primary focus of his work? Birds. His Instagram is linked in the in the show notes if you want. He's very talented. I love this. I feel like he... He's the sympathetic. Yeah, character. he kind of got roped. He well, he definitely got roped into this in a way of like, well, he was he was telling me it was it was gonna work. It was yeah. gonna be great. Well, and he, uh, I don't know. He admits he's like there were multiple times that I could have like shifted yeah. energy. Like, but I feel like he's the most sympathetic out of all of them. But that's just that's just me and his cute face. Okay. <laughs> um. So Warren, according to the end of the film in 2018, Warren was attending Temple University in Philly to study filmmaking. He did graduate with a master's degree in film. Uh, his current Twitter bio describes him as, quote, writer, storyteller, prison reform advocate, American animal, electrician by trade, unquote. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, Eric lives in Brooklyn and works as a writer. And uh, he wrote the book that inspired the movie titled American Animals, A True Crime Memoir that was published in 2018. Uh, and if I'm recalling my bookseller knowledge correctly, it was potentially self-published because Ingram Publisher Services tends to carry a lot of those like weird titles. Mm-hmm. Do I still want to read it? Absolutely. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. And then we have Chaz. Oh, buddy. Oh, no. I got the biggest lull out of this situation. Um, he didn't ask me anything on Reddit and got absolutely roasted by the comments. Um, <laughs> rightfully so, in my petty opinion. He introduced himself on that AMA as, quote, My name is Chaz Allen, and I'm an author, public speaker, entrepreneur, and life coach. But most famously, I'm known for my role in the Transylvania book heist. In jail, I found myself at rock bottom and made the choice to turn my life around. In my new book, Evolution, Becoming a Criminal, I depict how my upbringing and personal struggles led to my involvement in the criminal act and the growth and development that transpired once heading to prison and being released. Unquote. He didn't murder anyone. No. But, like, you have to scroll. Like, there's so much roasting happening, but you don't get an answer from him to, like, a page and a half down. It's linked in the comments if you want to go read the troll. The trolls really... I appreciate it. He made them. the wrong choice going to Reddit. Well, ask me anything. According to the end of the film adaptation, good old Chaz is living in LA and works as a fitness instructor. But also he's a life coach. Yeah. But I'm like, everybody can be a life coach. Everyone's a life coach. And then finally, the true hero of this story, BJ Gooch. Yay! Is still a special collections librarian at Transylvania University, where the notorious books still reside. Transy has added additional security in the special collections, but still allows people to see the famous books, including the Audubon. She was interviewed for the documentary portion of American Animals. This is a blurb from AP News. The film makes it clear how central Gooch was to the whole story. The heist, the trial, the prison time, the magazine pieces, the books, and now, finally, the film. Gooch's ordeal took what would have been a simple heist into the realm of serious, violent crime. She found herself unable to talk about it for many years and has never before spoken to the media. The trauma came not just from being tied up and threatened, but the added violations of two sacred things, the workplace she regarded as a home and the special relationship she had teaching students about so many of Transy's treasures. But, she said, appearing in the film and watching it in her home with director Bart Layton has helped her heal and even reach a place of forgiveness. It took two years for Layton to persuade Gooch to be interviewed for the documentary part of the film, and she decided this was her chance to tell her side of the story and close the door. End quote. In a very brief scene, the real-life Gooch makes the point clearly that Layton has tried to do more obliquely. Quote, they were wanting a transformative experience, but they refused to work for it, she said. They wanted to get it the easy way. I want to go and visit the Gooch. I bet we could. Make, uh, make I an appointment. Road trip. <laughs> make an appointment. Make an appointment. Not with a Yahoo account. Though I do and still have a Yahoo email. It's for all my, like, junk stuff. Oh, that's fair. And my fanfiction.net notifications. Because occasionally someone will update a story and I'll be like, bro, where have you been? Where you been, Loka? 
<laughs> but yeah, that's the story of the Transy Book Heist. Not really a mystery, but I wanted to talk about it. No, so. it's great. It is a mystery as to who it was, thought. It was a mystery as to how I hadn't heard of this before. Truly, I though. Like, this is like... I love books and heists. And this is like our favorite things. Yeah. I love it. Very well done. Heist, heist, baby. Heist Thursday. Heist Thursday. <laughs> Uh, yeah yay i love it all right so i think i have a question a first date question oh um (laughs) shannon decided to sit different because it's a first date (laughs) do i look cute do i I look cute um if we ever had one of those powerpoint parties if when we have one of those powerpoint (laughs) parties what topic do you think you'll bring to the table? Ooh. I mean, it wouldn't be new for you. But <laughs> okay. it would just be the 1924 Everest <laughs> And why I think the Chinese covered it up. I've had this conversation recently on a Hinge conversation. I love this. Because they were like, because in my profile, one of my prompts is like, don't blame me if something and then you fill it in and I was so mine is like don't blame me if I talk a bunch about the podcast I co-host with my best friend parentheses the pale one in several of my pictures (laughs) I just flipped her off you guys stop laughing (laughs) so then you know people are like oh like oh you what's the podcast about and at this point I've gotten sick of I just have it in my notes app like I just copy and paste it but then they were like so what What's, what conspiracy do you think is actually true? And I was like, oh, the bestie. Chinese have covered up evidence. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, I was I was expecting like birds are fake, but okay. <laughs> and I was like, anyway. Anyway, um, so how do we move the soul on? Anyway, yeah, what would your PowerPoint be about? I don't know. Or I don't know. Or I do something really dumb, like a definitive ranking of the Hollywood Cresses or something with like pros and cons yeah. and pictures. See, I was going to I was going to do a definitive ranking but of fictional men mm. and make it like, you know, like Pride and Prejudice yeah. or Doctor Who or like you yeah. know, like there's there's the ranking within them and then branching that off because obviously like there's multiple Darcys, so which right. one's the best Darcy? And there's multiple Doctor Who, so which one's the best Who? Yes. Like all that kind of thing. So, like breaking down the rankings and then they like as if in a bracket, fight each other. Who would yes. win against each other? The ultimate. <gasps> wow. Yeah. I like this. And There's a lot like, involved. It's interactive because yeah, you yeah, can yeah. vote and you can be like, all right. So Let's stick him in the bracket. 2005 Darcy moves on. The 11th Doctor moves on. Exactly. Whatever. In a fight, who would win? Like a physical fight? No, like. Or a fight for my affection. Exactly. Yeah. Option C, polyamory. Ooh. The Doctor has multiple hearts. He can give away one to me and one to Darcy. And we all live happily ever after. I really love that. In the TARDIS. That makes me really happy. Shannon solved it, guys. World peace. (laughs) Time travel is always an option. (laughs) What a good time. We should have that party. We definitely should. I say, I I plan a lot of parties at Emma and Evan's house because um, I have a tiny apartment and they have a house. So I'm just like, you should have this party. No, I feel like it's a good winter party too. Like Ooh, it's because yeah. some, it's something that you do we inside. Can light the fire. Exactly. Get a little. And you can hook tip. up the computer to our we TV. We can go tipsy on and high tipsy. Tipsy on high Thursday. And how are we Jim Carrey? High Thursday. Five thirty. Just a Do you know what's myself? Can't cancel that again. So my my um 
My, my Brittany. Uh, my friend Brittany. My Brittany. Oh. She is my Brittany. She, she would love my, that. She is my stage wife. Uh, she she does jazzercise. And and I told her, I was like, please know that anytime you type jazzercise. I'm just I'm just hearing it in the in the grinch. Jazzercise. Well, I can't, hope can't. you're enjoying your holiday jazzercise. Or your jazzercise. Or anything like that. Um, but we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Hope you're having a lovely holiday season so far. Join us next week for something potentially spooky. It's kind of ick, but it's great. Cute. All right. Well, <laughs> until next time, remember. This podcast doesn't exist. Ice Thursday. Ice Thursday. <laughs> Too bad we don't we don't publish on Thursdays. <laughs> I mean we can. Ice Thursday. We could. Okay, bye. <laughs>